0: Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Broleson. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack. And maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone. Running far, far from home Till I am but skin and bone Oh Tell me about your cocktail that you made. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I have started watching um No Reservations again, which is um Anthony Bourdain's show. He was like R I P. Yeah, R.I.P. Obviously. I love him. I adore him. He came to my town that I'm now living in. Um one of my favorite restaurants here. Um, and this town's in the middle of nowhere. So it's kind of exciting. They have his picture up everywhere. It's really cute. Exactly. Um, but I was watching an episode on like the California desert and he went out to this recording studio, um, where a ton of different, like rock groups record. It's literally out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and they were making these cocktails called, I'm going to screw up the name Corvette summer Corvette mm-hmm. summer. Um, and so it's tequila cause it's Sunday. Why not? I love tequila, <laughs> tequila, like tonic water, and then um, grapefruit syrup. Oh my god, all my favorite things. And yeah, so then we watched that today. And I was like, I know what I'm making. That is so <laughs> cool. I love that. I recently got a juicer. I got it for Christmas, actually. And I have been getting onto a juicing kick. Oh, shit. And it is so nice. <laughs> but you're not drinking juice right now. No. are you? I'm drinking grape fruit juice or not grapefruit juice (laughs) (laughs) it's already hitting me (laughs) I'm drinking grape juice that's been fermented hey wine we are successful winos yeah actually that was one of my first roles um uh in theater of any kind was a successful wino yeah well not so (laughs) successful wino um I was a hobo who also happened to drink a lot of wine. It was for Little Shop of Horrors, which oh. is a, kind of a deep cut musical, but not, it's it's a weird one. Um, uh-huh. And I was a sophomore in high school and my mom was so proud. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask if that was the high school. Yeah, because yep. what they do that, like every year they did a Little Shop of Horrors? No, That's that, was- that would have been your freshman year, I think. That okay, would have okay, been the first year either. I definitely remember that yeah. happening. It's, It's I I literally always forget that we went to high school together but didn't know each other. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably (laughs) that. I think that is one of my favorite stories of how I know someone is like you and I met during the summer internship at VIMS, being research technicians on the Striped Bass Sane Survey. Mm -hmm. And then it's just the funny, um, like small talk that you get when you're trying to get to know your coworkers, and then coming from a small town like Haymarket I feel like everybody says the same thing about Haymarket when they're like oh where are you from the response is always something along the lines of oh I'm from a small town in northern Virginia like I don't think you would have heard heard it and then you and I were like well I'm from a small town in northern Virginia and it's like one two three Haymarket we're like what (laughs) but like I usually say to people who don't know where it is, like it's, you know, 30 miles outside of DC and it, we're pretty close to Manassas because a lot of people know Manassas because of the civil war battle, Right. you know, so it's a one, one stop line, light town nestled in, you know, the Bull Run mountains. It's a cute yeah. little place. The town itself is technically a mile wide. Yes, and yeah, one stoplight. Everybody literally lives on the outskirts, quote unquote. You live in the town. Yeah, you are one of the few that lives in the town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. one of the hundred homes that's in the in the town. Yeah, Yeah. we We lived. We lived like literally, I don't know, maybe a a couple hundred feet from the uh, the official town line. But yes, we lived in the town. Yeah, Um, and now both of us are kind of spread out. I know. It's so crazy. To completely different other places that are in the middle of nowhere and very small. Yeah. (laughs) Still staying true to our roots, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I tell people when I'm trying to give them like a reference point, I say, you know, we're close to DC, but then we're also close to the Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah National Park kind of area. And I was like, you can just pinpoint like smack dab in the middle of that that's about the same area like gorgeous mountains like beautiful in the fall (laughs) lots of snobs lots of wineries I really miss skyline drive in the fall I I know that's like one of the few things that I miss from living in the south has taken away a beautiful fall from me that's one of the things I love the most about the east coast and now I live in south Texas and like we get maybe one week of quote-unquote color um (laughs) And it's like, it's like in December, you know, it's not even like in fall. So it's, it's a bizarre, bizarro land down here. And I'm literally looking up Florida tree species right now because there is a tree in our yard that will drop leaves. And that's about the extent of fall that I get. (laughs) It's like one tree that drops a couple hundred leaves and that's it um i also think one of my favorite parts of like our knowing each other's story is um the fact that i worked with your husband before i worked yep. with you and even knew that you and i were, are from the same town went to the yep. same high school i was like that's so crazy what a small world but the marine science world is a very small it world. is very small and the <laughs> other funny thing was that you and Corey went to the same college did you ever meet there no, yeah. <laughs> I, we didn't yeah I forgot that he went to ODU as well mm-hmm. he it makes a little bit more sense because he's a couple years older because he's two years older than me so he's like three mm-hmm. from, from you so it makes a little bit yeah. more sense but yeah that is so funny I know it's a All small world, world. <laughs> so let's tell everybody you know what we do we're not just talking yeah. about fish because you know we're, we're aquarium enthusiasts. So, I am a fisheries biologist. I'm working on the Gulf of Mexico and Texas coastal bays. I do a lot of research on all kinds of different stuff, anywhere from like shrimp disease to like growing young juvenile fish. Um, so, there's a lot of different stuff we get to do um, down here. And that's kind of why I'm so interested in nature and these kinds of fucked up stories that we're going to be telling you on this podcast. So yeah, I, my background is also in marine science, but I have stepped away from the research side and I do more community outreach and communications, marketing kind of um, work in marine science now. And in a in the past, when I was in marine science, I worked in fisheries. And like I've already mentioned, that Jillian and I have worked on striped bass saying surveys together. And that was with striped bass in the estuaries of the Ch- Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, That was with striped bass in the estuaries of the Chesapeake Bay. And when we did those surveys, we also got to see a lot of other species of fish. So yeah, so my background's in fisheries and I used to work in fisheries a lot until I decided to change gears a bit and go into more of a communications outreach marketing side of marine science. And that happened about a year and a half ago at this point. Um, So the species of fish that I worked with in the past were striped bass, various trout species. I did a stint out in Utah. So if you hear us talking about Utah stories, um, (laughs) I have a lot of relation to them in that regard because of my work out in Utah. now I work at a coral reef research lab in the Florida Keys. I do a lot of community outreach. I also market items that help fund our coral reef research lab. (laughs) And I also manage our social media page for our coral reef research lab. The whole, the whole resume. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so you're living the dream, living in the Florida Keys, which I'm very jealous to be. Yeah, honest. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna live down south in a place that is disgustingly humid, you might as well live in the Florida Keys. Just saying. You know what happens down here, though, that actually I was not prepared for? Um, So there's one line that comes down through the keys for, like, telephone, internet, whatever. So frequently, the internet and cell service just crap out because somebody got in a car accident and hit the line. Mm. Somebody is, like, fixing the line and ruined it even more because of, like, another accident happening. A couple months ago, before the holidays, from the Middle Keys all the way down to Key West, cell service and internet was out for half the day. It was like 8 a.m. to 1 or 2 p.m. It was all out. And I was trying to work from home and I couldn't. And I thought it was just like someone around here was doing work on the lines. And so that's why it was out. So I went down to Key West because that's where the closest Starbucks is where I can get free <laughs> Wi Fi. And that's an hour away. And so I went down there trying to get free Wi Fi. And then I went through the drive through because obviously, like, order of drinks in the parking lot, COVID friendly, you know, whatever. Um, and on their, uh, like their drive-through window, they had a sign that said cash only because their servers were down and they yeah. couldn't. Oh no! Didn't do the cash register. Yeah. So yeah, living down here, I don't. Can't, the only thing I could probably complain about is the dating scene, and then the fact that the internet goes out frequently. Yeah, dang. See, that's why I just brought the guy I keep dating. I just brought him with me to this tiny ass town so that I just, you know. I, I ha, he's right there be like let's you know let's go <laughs> yeah So actually when you I had the zoom like popped up and I didn't have my headphones in and I was like oh I'll see her when she pops up because you know you're right there in front of me mm-hmm. I was actually um, not paying attention to it because I was getting back on the dating apps. <laughs> yes, cool. <queen>. I had, <laughs> I was talking to my friends about dating down here last night, and like they're up in Miami, and there's you know a lot of options for them. Mm-hmm. And they all have boyfriends or fiancés, and I'm like the only one in the friend group that's single <laughs> at the Pringle, and I'm like I don't like dating down here sucks. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's pretty much, like, an, a glorified co- college town. Like, right. everyone drinks all the time. I feel like uh, you probably get a lot of, like, white college boys going down to, like, find themselves, you know? Like, with beach blonde hair, right? Am I right? Oh my, you're kind of right on that. Like, <laughs> And honestly, like, <laughs> it's going to sound very ironic coming from me, but, like, uh, fishermen, not attracted to them. No. Like... <laughs> To me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go catch a really big fish today and put it on my Instagram and get thousands of likes, and that's what's important to me. Like, that's not important to me. I feel like there's a whole subclass of dudes on, like, Tinder that just have, like, a a picture of them, like, redneck to hell with a big or small fish. It doesn't really matter. They'll make it look big with, like, the camera right <laughs> like the closer you hold it to the camera the bigger the fish so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's all about aspect ratios right yes um fair enough that's that's what I'm saying that's why I just married the one that and I just yeah. drug him down here with me like we got here I was the only one with a job and like we weren't making shit for money we barely found a house because there's a factory How is housing down there it's cheap, but because there's like a factory about 30 minutes down the road, it's like huge. It's a plastic factory. Um, all Beautiful. of the oh. rental spaces get taken up by these guys who come in and do seasonal work at this mm-hmm. factory. So it's super hard to find a house. Our house is on the water and we're not paying oh, is that it? much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You guys got like some kayaks or canoes or something you can put out there? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. But the house itself is like low key falling apart. So there's that. And <laughs> we have, <laughs> there's a rat I've been trying to catch for three weeks that's like living in our crawl space. So we had a rat that was like extremely loud. And he would go in our like little oven warming tray like every night at two o'clock in the morning and just like, like scrabble around. And um, so we ended up caught catching him. I dubbed him Trump. He was a loud one. The one we have now is Mike Pence. So you occasionally hear him and you know he's there because he keeps shitting on the floor, but you can't catch the bastard. <laughs> so that's Mike Pence. Yeah. Mike Pence, everybody. <laughs> and this is our introduction to our third co-host. Yeah, Mike Pence. The Mike so. He lives in the roof. Um, um, Speaking of rats, though, I have wires in my car that have mm-hmm. been chewed by rodents and oh. now i might have to get my whole wiring harness redone this is going to cost a couple grand <laughs> the so joys let's also talk about how much i hate rodents uh, the joys of living in the middle of nowhere it's great yeah. y'all we get Beautiful. stuck out here because you know this is kind of our well this is my first career job and in our field you kind of take what you can get you don't get to go to the amazing, beautiful places unless you're like absolutely at the top of your game because it's just so competitive. All right, well, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about a little bit on why I'm so fascinated with these kinds of stories. Um, And for me, it's just, I have a morbid fascination that I didn't know that I had. Um, I've been into true crime for a while But the stories that really sent me down the deep, dark rabbit hole were these ones of people going out into the wilderness and like surviving like crazy things or dying in awful, awful ways. Um, And I think part of it is because I have like anxiety and in a weird way, they're kind of like therapeutic to talk about (laughs) or read about. It's kind of a bizarre, but that's kind of like that for a lot of people with true crime, I know. Does it make too. you feel better about your life? Is that why it's soothing? Well, uh, yeah, in one way, it's like, well, at least I'm not freezing um, out on the Antarctic Sea, you know, at least that's not happening to me. Or at least I'm not stuck <laughs> in a canyon with no water, you know, <laughs> like, you know things can be there, worse. <laughs> there are always, I, yes, things can always be worse. Mm-hmm. And I do like these stories. I find them be, to be interesting. And just so our listeners know, Jillian has done all the legwork on these stories. <laughs> so I really don't know what we talk about until like day of. And so when I react the way that I do, that is a genuine reaction. <laughs> I got you. I got all of it. You want to know why I got all of it? Because I read these books for fun. Yeah, therefore- you do. <laughs> that's like my late night oh I'm gonna get in bed with a you know cup of tea let me read the story you know, about snuggling into my cozy bed with yeah. my tea now I'm gonna read about a murder that happened yes. or not a murder just like a death or some tragedy it doesn't always have yeah humor. yeah definitely so well <laughs> the funny part is then I stay up late at night um and and Try to retell him to Corey and be like, "Isn't that crazy?" And he's like, "I just want to fucking go to sleep."
1: And I so can now.
0: Now what? Sorry, go ahead. So now I have all all whatever listeners we manage to get. They're gonna we're gonna fill that void in my life, and they're gonna save Corey from his awful obligation of listening to my bullshit. So, so join our podcast to save yeah. <laughs> save, save my save my husband. Anyway, now that we've rattled on for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I don't know. All right. So let's get into some effed up stories. I think it's a good idea for me to go first because um, this one's a tragedy (laughs) and yours isn't. Yeah. (laughs) So... Um, So today we're going to be talking about a couple of Utah stories, which makes me think I never want to go to Utah because I'm definitely going to die. Utah is the state of death, I have decided. And can confirm. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you've been there. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the story that I'm going to talk about today is Nutty Putty Cave. Um, It is a small cave in utah it's about 55 miles from salt lake city it's out in the desert and it's not like a pretty cave like i feel like we're used to those beautiful like show caves out on the east coast like i mean you've been to Luray, you know like the beautiful like stalactites and stalagmites and like all these beautiful formations but this one's literally A muddy, dusty hole in the ground. And I'm just going to show you a couple of pictures. I'm already not a fan of this. Lorraine actually makes me feel slightly claustrophobic in the first place. I know. And it's huge. (laughs) I mean, there's a whole organ, like the instrument, an organ in the cave. (laughs) Also the fried egg. Don't forget about the fried egg. Oh, the fried egg. So it looks like this. Scary, scary pictures of this cave. It's literally just, like, rocky and, like, clay walls and, like, very, very tight areas. So can you help me understand Mm -hmm. why someone feels the need to go into a muddy cave that has barely enough space for themselves to fit through? Well... I don't know because I'm not going to do it. (laughs) I'm extremely claustrophobic. (laughs) That is a hard pass. (laughs) That's a hard pass for me. Um, for me though, like, I think everybody kind of has their own, you know, I want to go to this place because I want to go somewhere that not like a lot of people have seen before. Um, I don't know if everybody has that, but a lot of people, In our field and who like to go do things outside you like to go somewhere where nobody's necessarily or not a lot of people have seen for me that's antarctica for these people it's this hole in the ground (laughs) i am just i am a very claustrophobic person night diving i don't know if i could ever do night dives i don't like like the dark yeah so So this would not be good for me Well, and we'll talk about cave diving in other episodes. This is not a uh, cave diving kind of cave. This is just a cave. There's, there's no water. Cave. Here. There's no yeah. There's no water. Um, but that's another even scarier level of oh my god, oh my god. Why are you doing that? Because I'm a diver. I know what it's like to dive. But I only do open water because like you can go up to the surface and you know you're you're not trapped you have your strategy. Yeah. Like, right above you literally right above you. Yeah. Right, but if you're deep in that that cave and your oxygen goes out, well, friend, you're fucked. <laughs> like- when I was getting dive certified, we had to dive in the quarry that everyone mm. got certified in Northern Virginia. At. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. And, um it had rained the night before, so all the silt mm. went in the quarry and you could not see 6 inches in front of your face. Fuck that. He's yeah. Like, oh, it might clear up at the bottom. Did not clear up at the bottom. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Back yeah. to <laughs> without any water. Cave there's no water in this cave. Um, so nutty putty is kind of well known for getting mm-hmm. regularly closed down because people get stuck in these areas full of like squeezes. And what a squeeze is, is like this narrow area tunnel in the cave where you can, you know, you have to either walk through sideways or get on your belly and crawl through and it's literally like you know rock above you on your back and then the floor of the cave on your belly and you just have to literally squeeze through this area to get to like another part of the cave so it's again hard pass yeah like very claustrophobic inducing nightmarish and if you look at some of these pictures of the cavers at nutty putty it's like they're, you know, you they're so happy to be there. They're like smiling and, and but they're like covered in dirt and they're climbing through these literal holes in the ground in the dark. And it's so creepy I to me. <laughs> <The> <laughs> that in this photo that you're showing me right now, the guy had to take his helmet off to mm-hmm. fit through it because that extra bit was too much. Yeah. Yeah, and it and- literally it literally looks like somebody's like uh, colon from the inside, you know, when they go in with the surgery and they like put the little camera yeah. in your colon. Colonoscopy. Is this the birth canal? No. So for our listeners listening, there is a part of this cave, an Howdy Putty cave that they have named the birth canal because it is a squeeze and <laughs> squeezes. <laughs> I just typed in birth canal into Google and wouldn't you know it I got a bunch of pictures of vaginas um oh my god okay the birth canal (laughs) is a squeeze (laughs) that um it's the squeeze in this cave that is literally like like you're coming out of your mom's vagina like that's- It's a rebirth into yeah. the wild yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is not <laughs> what i would want to do deep 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 underground um the cave was closed down in 2004 when two boy scouts got stuck in a squeeze and had to be pulled out um, but it was reopened in 2009, and that's something that happens a lot in these kind of caving stories, um, where these these people or the caving communities kind of push for it to be opened back up, um, even though it's kind of dangerous because they want to go explore. And the only way I can equate that is if they decided to, like, and they have actually a couple of times shut down, like, the Mount Everest climbing season because too many people are going or it's you know the mountains getting trashed we'll talk about that on another episode um but it's a kind of a similar thing Is like but we want to go we want to see and we want to do so it got opened back up and uh and that's when a young john edwards jones decided to go exploring on the 24th of november just in time for thanksgiving <laughs> Um, So, John Irish Jones was a med student. He had, uh, he was 26 years old, and he had a wife um, and a baby on the way. Um, And he went um, with like, I don't know, 15 or so of his friends and and family members. Or, no, sorry, nine. Nine of his friends and family members. And apparently, this is like something they did for fun. So, Um, at least he, he did one thing, right. He brought people with him. People knew where he was. Um, and so John began climbing through that, uh, what he thought was the birth canal passage, because once you get through that passage or into a much bigger, um, chamber on the other side, he thought he had found it. Um, and so he just pushed himself deeper and deeper into this, um, narrow hole head headfirst. Um, but it wasn't the birth canal and there was no chamber on the other side. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around forcing yourself somewhere where you're clearly not meant to go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just This is going to be very hard for me to understand. (laughs) It is just one of those things where if you can't go there, why force yourself to go there? But again, I mean, he probably thought that he was going to come out the other side, right? That's what he thought he was doing. So at this point, this guy who's like about 200 pounds um, has no way to turn around. Um, He's wedged himself into this hole. Um, So to get to this point, he was literally just shifting um, his hips and his stomach and, like, using his fingers to drag himself on the ground through this squeeze. Again, Um, hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) There's no, like, leg and arm crawling. It's not like he was on his knees or anything. Uh, He's just, like, shimmying. Um, And it's a lot easier to shimmy into a place than to shimmy out of it just ask you know the American blue crab they get themselves stuck in a trap and they can't get their way back out because the the uh, hole that goes into the trap is much narrower as you reach further into the trap and then they get stuck there so that's kind of what happened to this guy (laughs) and hopefully one day this podcast can be sponsored by Old Bay Seasoning because without (laughs) Old Bay Seasoning my life would be very very dull and bland have you ever had a, a bay arena i learned about this from one of our friends who's from maryland um i the never... natty bow and uh, natty bow yeah bow. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you get a natty light and you rim it or you just pour you just pour the old bay in it you don't even like worry about rimming it with the uh, old bay or anything so my roommate is from like the Maryland area and we uh-huh. bond over old bay seasoning and it is Natty Bow which is a beer that's you know yeah local to that area and you rim the glass with old bay seasoning before you pour the beer in and then there you can never have too much old bay. <laughs> I mean I disagree in this case Um, person. I have heard that it's not the greatest, but I mean I haven't had one, so I can't I can't hate on it yet because I haven't tried it myself. (laughs) Yeah. It's literally like you just all he would do is he would just show up with a bunch of natty lights and then just pour old bay into it. (laughs) God bless it. You know I put old (laughs) bay on my eggs every morning. I put old bay on my popcorn, put old bay on like my shrimp and chicken, sometimes Mm -hmm. depending pasta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Old Bay Alfredo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so good. Mm. Anyway, sorry, we were tangent on Old Bay. He's a he's crab in a, a trap. He's yeah, a crab, crab and trap. in a trap. Um. So what he doesn't know is he doesn't know he's in a trap. He thinks that he is still in the birth canal and it's just gotten a little tight. So instead of trying to shimmy out backwards, he decides to exhale the air in his chest to fit in a space 10 by 18 inches. Can we get a visual for our viewers of what 10 <laughs> by 18 inches it is? It's uh, not my chest. My chest is a lot bigger. So I would uh, have not even gotten that far. <laughs> I um, very concerned and sweaty at this point of the story <sighs> just, just you know you could use that sweat as a lubricant to just like push you through there you know i would go backwards i would want to go backwards i want to oh. get out of the entrance of the cave <laughs> yes like out in the sunlight give me that sweet utah desert sun some vitamin d is much needed in this situation <laughs> fuck a cave <laughs> um so I want all the listeners to go and get a ruler and measure that because it is very, very tiny. Um, So this is a tactic you can use to get through squeezes, but it's pretty dangerous. Um, So if he was actually in the birth canal, you know, you exhale your hair, hair, you exhale your air and you, (laughs) and you shimmy through, right. And then you should pop out in the open and then you can take a breath again. Right. That's the tactic. All right, so mostly it's just dangerous because once you inhale again and your stomach expands, you get even further stuck. His brother ended up finding him and basically tried to pull him out by his legs. It actually just ended up making things worse um, because John actually just slid down the passage even further. And now his arms were like pinned beneath his chest. So at this point, he was pretty much stuck for good. Big yikes. Yeah, no, I don't need that. I don't need Not that a kind fan of-, of that. Don't need that negativity in my life. Um, So if you guys are listening to this about, you know, before you go to bed, you're welcome for the nightmares. Yes. You're going to have them. Yes. So his family, like, got to the exit of the cave so they could call for help. Um, John was trapped about 400 feet into the cave. So it took rescuers an hour of, like, climbing through the cave um, before they could even get to him. Um, So at this point, he had been hanging upside down for three and a half hours in basically total darkness, unable to move. I would have gone fucking nuts. Uh, um, I don't know how. What happens when you're hanging upside down for hours on end? What does your body do? Well, here's the thing about hanging upside down. So basically being upside down makes your heart work against gravity to pump blood because normally when you're standing upright, because your heart's very close to your brain. Gravity is basically being used to get the blood to your extremities. Um, And when you're upside down, it's all just rushing to your head. (laughs) And so there's like a lot of pressure buildup. So like if you ever hung upside down off the mucky bars or like off the edge of your bed, you know what this feels like. Now imagine that for three and a half hours. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, it's not, not what you Something want to do. That time. It's not a, it's 10 out of 10 would not recommend. Um, so they've got to get him out fast because he could go into like cardiac arrest or probably freak out and have a lot of panic attacks, which is only going to make that situation worse. Right. So to remind you guys, this is a pitch black crevice. Yes. That he is stuck in. Yes. And has no way to get out. No. So basically the other thing that would be happening um, as well as like, you know, the blood rushing to his head. um, He's not really able to see much. There's not a lot of light because his body would have blocked out all light. So all he would be able to see is like pitch blackness, muffled sounds. That sort of like sensory deprivation does things to the human mind, especially darkness. Like you start hallucinating after just like 20, uh, 48 hours, maybe. I think I, I watched a special on BBC about it. Um, and I'm sure that wouldn't really help matters if you started like hallucinating like monsters or stuff um, in front of you. Like that would be terrifying. So basically, over. The next twenty four hours, they worked nonstop to get this guy out. Three the first rescuer time. to reach him was Susie Matola, who reached him at about half past midnight. I think they went into the cave at around five p.m. So he's been there a while. All he, all she could see of him was a pair of navy and black running shoes, like sticking out of the hole oh, in the ground. Just like, oh, my God, I, uh, my heart sinks every time I hear this story. Horror horror movie horror but I guess I could still communicate like through the rock um so over the next 24 hours they worked non-stop trying to get this guy out their plan included using a systems of pulleys and rope um basically what this tunnel looked like it was kind of uh, zigzagged out parallel to the ground and then began to go down at a diagonal and then went down vertically. And then that vertical section was where John was. Um, Now we'll post pictures of that diagram um, on our Instagram. Um, And so the the biggest problem was because of where he was, the rescuers had to climb through the rest of that super narrow zigzaggy tunnel to get to him and then install these pulleys in the cave walls and basically risk getting stuck themselves the same way he had. At this point, they were able to give him an IV and food and water. Um, and they actually were able to let him talk to his wife over the radio um, because they had pulled him, they pulled him up past that eight by, sorry, 10 by 18 squeeze. So they were able to give him all of that stuff. Um, but then one of the pulleys broke due to the weak, like clay rock walls. And then he was dropped headfirst back into that narrow gap. I cannot imagine the panic mm-hmm. that was happening on mm-hmm. all accounts. Mm-hmm. So he had just, you know, was able to talk to his wife. And then, you know, a couple minutes later, he's back where he, he started. Oh, my God. Uh, so we're back into the sensory deprivation, the panic. I'm sure he was... Also not getting enough oxygen because that rock was tightest around his hips and his mid-torso. So that didn't help either. They were working to get him out of there for 27 hours. 27 hours of pulley systems, of all of that stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. Hang on one minute. I'm going to reconnect to a different internet. I'm gonna kill oh. my husband, you guys. No. Don't we like him? I he's do nice. like him, but <laughs> he's gaming right now. <laughs> it's ruining my but- internet connection. <laughs> Corey! <laughs> <laughs> it's the windstorm? He's just yelling at me. I just heard it too. I was like, <laughs> like what do you say over there? Some a storm. <laughs> it, is, it is a little windy. But it's always, wow. it's always windy here. It's always wind. We're just going to <laughs> blame it on Corey. We're going to blame it on Corey. It's what you get for marrying a gamer, y'all. Okay. <laughs> so, when we thought fine. we couldn't get any lower, they ended up losing him. After 27 hours of the rescue effort, he died of cardiac arrest. Uh, the rescuers gave up at 24 clay walls were not strong enough to hold the pulleys and because of the way he was positioned it was impossible to physically pull him out he had also become non-responsive at this point so this is where our, our tragedy comes in this is what happens when sometimes it's coincidence sometimes it's lack of preparation sometimes i think in this case it was just really really bad luck um so that tunnel that he thought was the birth canal passage ended up becoming his coffin because they weren't able to get his body out either. Um, the authorities sealed the cave off a week after uh, Jones's death, and he is now entombed in the cave that killed him. He had a wife, a daughter, and another kid on the way. Oh, God. Is... That's the uh, story of Nutty Putty Cave. It's officially sealed off forever. But you can look at the horror-inducing photos of it online and boy, oh boy, is that a trip. As always, you know, we have a lot of respect for the people who end up in these awful situations. It's something that, not this specific situation because I hate caves and I don't want to go into them, but it's something that I could end up happening to me one day, uh, you know, getting lost at sea or something like that, or being on a sinking boat, which has actually happened to me before. <laughs> so I understand what it can be like to be in a situation like this. And this is obviously like the worst case scenario. And Nutty Putty Cave is just kind of a reminder of that. But it is one of the stories that really stuck with me for a long time after I read it. Um, because it's just really hard to imagine, but at the same time, you can imagine it happening very well. You know, it's awful. It is a very sad story for sure. Well, let's bring the mood up. Yeah. Um, palette cleanser. So <clears throat> if we want this as a palette cleanser, I found this article from 2014 mm-hmm, from desert news. It's on Oh, I guess it's not desert. It's D-E-S-E-R-E-T. Close enough. Yeah, desert. They didn't have yes. a spell check. No spell check. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, and the title of the article says, John Jones died in a cave, but still emerged from the darkness. Hmm. And it goes on to say that it's been a long five years uh, since the accident. And... um. It was a startling tragedy for his family, blah, 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 blah. His wife, Emily Jones Sanchez, would return to Virginia a widow and recalls the first year and the anniversary of his death. And then now points exactly to a song to recall the anguish and what it took to overcome her husband's death, the subsequent birth of their child, waiting through difficult times in single parenthood, And then to remarry and give birth to a third child. Mm. So she remarried and had another child. And that is one thing. I think he's an alma mater of, or maybe he was going to school at uh, UVA. Yeah, he was a med student at Mm -hmm. UVA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is like right in our backyard, sort of. Yeah. Two hours in our backyard. (laughs) Let's not talk of Charlottesville. Charlottesville. though, you know. Yeah. Tiki, tiki torch land, you know, good times. <laughs> God, bless it. We're moving forward into the next story. So, as a palate cleanser, we are going to give you guys a little bit of a different story. This story ends in a survival, but at a cost, wouldn't you say, Jillian? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this is the story of Aaron Ralston. And you guys may also know this from the movie 127 Hours, where James Frank plays the lead. So, if you haven't heard about this guy yet, he is the one that got his hand stuck under a rock and had to cut it off in order to escape. Carrying on with our theme of getting stuck between a rock and a hard place is this harrowing ordeal. It's one of those situations you can't even conceive of finding yourself in until you hear about a story like this. And such a sick little twist of fate, this guy had, he moved his hand just a little bit faster, maybe he would have walked out just fine, and we would have never heard of him. But he didn't, and so let's get into the story. So Aaron Ralston was the kind of guy who quit his job to become a mountaineer, the kind of guy which adventure was more important than personal wealth or stability, He's the kind of person we all like to be, right? The one that says, fuck you to corporate America and headed off towards the wilderness. But the problem is most of us, if not a slight population of us, has crippling anxiety. And we like creature comfort. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that prevents some of us from saying, fuck you to corporate America. Right. Jillian, I are you one of those people? <laughs> I I am. I need structure in my life. I need a plan. I need a bank account with some money. I think you're more this kind of person who can just run off because you kind of did that. Like you went to Utah, you like went to Florida, and just traveled for such a long time. There was a moment in time when I lived out of my car for about a month, exactly. but that was on purpose, and we had a plan, <laughs> and I knew that there was an end in sight. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I had my dog with me, so it was completely fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, get on the people that can do that, right? I and do have aspirations to someday have a van that I can use as a vacation van. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah. I don't want to live in it full time, but I think it'd be cool to be able to have something you can take out for a week or two at a time yeah. and go off the grid. Oh, absolutely. We We have a low-key, like – uh rv gold person retirement plan just take a month or two or five just go road trip that'd be awesome just go i love it yeah yeah so aaron ralston was living in colorado at the time trying to climb all of colorado's 14ers which are mountains that are above 14,000 feet when he decided to go check out utah's canyonlands national park and I know we've mentioned this before, but Utah must be a death trap. <laughs> According to Jillian, her survival tip number one is just don't go to Utah. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking go. Just don't fucking go. Speaking from personal experience, I don't know if I would recommend it. I think that you should be kind of experienced in the wilderness if you're going to go to Utah. <laughs> also, you can't drink as much as you want to in Salt Lake City. Just You have to order food if you order Alcohol at a bar. <laughs> oh, that's not that bad. I can do that. I can eat and drink at the same time. <laughs> they don't sell wine in Walmart. That really no. threw me for a loop. Yeah. And the liquor store closes at like 7:30 at night, I believe. Where I was, this is from my experience. I don't know yeah. if that's everywhere in Utah. Yeah. Um, like there was one time when I was in Utah, I had a really hard day, and I wanted wine, and I went to Walmart, and they didn't have wine. I walked back and forth for hours trying to find wine. I saw beer. <laughs> i saw beer and i was like if beer is here there has to be wine nearby i even facetimed my best friend i was like can you please help me see something that i'm not seeing right now and i didn't want to be rude because you know they have their religious reasons for not drinking alcohol out there and um i didn't want to be rude and ask the um the staff that was working on walmart like, "Hey, where do you get the liquor um But that's what I ended up doing. I said, hey, like, I'm sorry. Is there, like, wine anywhere in here? And then that's when I found out that wine is sold in the liquor store and not the supermarkets. Every, Every state is different. Yeah. And then I asked like when the liquor store closes and the lady said oh i think it closes at 6:30 or 7 and it was 9:30 at night <laughs> i <laughs> almost cried in the middle of a walmart <laughs> <laughs> like i'm sorry so i can't do this got to get those drugs um, out of your life Haley. man just just ruin you well moving moving to the keys made it worse honestly it's (laughs) all the time here (laughs) like everyone's always drinking (laughs) utah which is practically a dry state to the florida keys which where everyone drinks like a fish (laughs) duval street is just like a hedonist like land of alcohol i mean key west has how many bars it's like it's all bars. It goes off higher of, than like, 50, the- I think. Um, anyway, back <laughs> on to how Utah is a death trap. <laughs> Utah's a death trap. <laughs> um, so we have concluded that you just shouldn't go to Utah unless you are experienced in wilderness, <clears throat> outdoor Thanks. wilderness, any sort of adventuring, because it's it's hard out there. Mm-hmm. Um so On the morning of April twenty fifth, two 2003, Aaron Ralston headed out to the park on his bike to go explore some slot canyons. And for those of you who don't know, slot canyons are a canyon, but just more narrow. There's no roof to it. It's like Um, a nutty putty cave without a roof. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. (laughs) So he went to go on his bike to explore some slot canyons by himself. Um, And this is where he went wrong. He went, first of all, by himself second of all he did not tell anyone where he was going and rule number one is you always tell someone where you're going if something were to happen to somebody they would never know where to find you yeah especially if you are an outdoor enthusiast and you do go to various locations to go into slot canyons or go into caves Mm -hmm. and then something happens and someone doesn't hear from you for a couple of days they don't know where you are Yeah, and like that was something my mom always made my dad do because he is like a big outdoor adventure guy. Like you go hiking or mountain biking or whatever. She would always make him print out, you know, a map quest of (laughs) where to at least find the car, so she could start sending people to go look if something happened to him. Back in the day of map quest. Back in the day of map (laughs) quest. Kids these days don't even know about map quest. These these (laughs) dang kids it's like that meme where it's like some of you never had to print out map quest directions and it shows it does it does does show show. gen Gen z i'm effing talking to y'all okay we are targeting (laughs) you right now it's it's like do better yeah darn zoomers (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) so rule number one Tell people where you're going. Rule well, number two, maybe take a friend. Also super helpful to like share your location if you have an iPhone or any other GPS service that can do that. I share my location on every run that I go on whether I feel safe or not because mm. I need people to know where I'm at. And maybe that's just like us being outdoors women because I feel like women live in fear most of the time that they're going to yeah. get kidnapped. <laughs> I think it's a little column A column B. Um so Aaron Ralston he made his way into Blue John Canyon which like we said is a narrow slot canyon and he is outside of Canyonlands National Park which is in southern Utah. He was climbing down into the canyon when a giant rock above him slipped and he fell along with the rock, and his hand became wedged between the 800-pound rock and the canyon wall in one of these three-foot regions of the canyon. At this point, he was 20 miles from the nearest paved road. The only other major mistake that was made was packing a Nalgene water bottle, two burritos of the gas station variety, most likely. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) He yes. had candy bar crumbs. Did he already eat the candy bar? Who knows? Maybe it was leftover from weeks ago. We don't know. Yeah, that could, that um, could get real weird. So, you know, we've all packed light before. Um, you know, you go for a hike, you pack one of those crumbling Nature Valley bars. Yes. <laughs> Try to act like you're in one of the commercials. It's fine. Yeah. I only like, like the uh, um, the peanut butter kind. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like the peanut butter kind, too. This is the only and, good kind. I feel like the peanut butter helps it stay more intact. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you're eating it, it's not as crumbly. Um, Naturally, when you go on hikes, you carry a water bottle and maybe a snack or two. And you don't expect yourself to be stuck in a situation for 127 hours. Well, here's the thing, like, when I pack like that, I'm never hiking alone, and it's not on a trail that's, like, like difficult, you know what I mean? Like, we go all the, hiking all the time here in Texas, because there's so many great state parks, but they're, like, if something happened to you, like, somebody's gonna find you, first of all, and, like, second of all, we don't, we don't really have mountains <laughs> until you get out west. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, it's a heavy trafficked area, like, yeah. They see you. Like, there's people around that are going right. to see something if something happens. So I can pack, like, one Nalgene water bottle. That'll be enough, you know. But if yeah. you're in the desert by yourself, I I can't. Yeah. And when did we say this happened? April? Yeah. Mm-hmm. April of 2003. Mm-hmm. I feel like during the day in April, that probably gets pretty hot in southern Utah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then um, at night, it gets freaking cold. It's cold. cold. Yeah. yeah. I was out there when I was in northeast Utah. I was out there from late August to early November. That was late summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was late summer and into fall. And I mean, the summer was beautiful out there, but it did get hot. Mm -hmm. And then when it transitioned into fall, it was like you had three layers on in the morning, but then by the afternoon, you just had a t-shirt on. Right. Because like the desert environment doesn't retain heat. Like here on the coast, it's like, milder but it's always like the same temperature because water Mm -hmm. just like holds that heat so also let's talk about what we're packing in our bags we have our our snacks Mm -hmm. we have our water and we have tools like a multi-tool or a knife that's a good light survival tool right just in case anything does happen you know you have something that you can cut with or maybe it's one of those ones that has pliers on it you can grip Mm -hmm. onto something and pull things out I bought mine from Walmart it's like the Bear Grylls brand (laughs) Mm because I thought it would be funny to have a knife from a guy who regularly drinks his own piss on television but it's held up (laughs) so cheers to Bear Grylls thanks Bear Grylls please sponsor us in the future yes um i also i have a knife that i bought from walmart and it's pretty decent and i also bought a hatchet from walmart and i keep it in the door of my car mm-hmm. and whenever people see the hatchet in the door of my car they get a little weirded out but i put it there back when i was camping a lot so it was just like a place to put it yeah but then i was also driving a lot and i would pull over into those visitor center parking lots and take naps and i would crack the window a bit and so like if anybody like reached in to try to get me i would just like whip out my hatchet from the side door and like chop their hand fuck (laughs) see that's what i'm talking about you are much more of a free spirit (laughs) than i am (laughs) because i would not do that (laughs) gotta do what you gotta do so slot canyon and ralston is in a slot canyon for five days slowly rashing out his burritos and water I'm sorry. I shouldn't be laughing at laughing at this, but like, just reading that sentence, he's rationing out his burritos in water, yeah, gas like, station burritos. God, I know it's so bad. I'm not. It's not funny, guys. It's not funny. Dying of thirst yeah. and shitting your brains out at the same time. Yeah, that's what I, my mind went to. I was like, God bless it. Like he. Oh God. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Yucky. Um. Eventually he had to start drinking his own urine because as he had all the hours pass by, he started drinking all of his water and what happens when all your water is gone, you start having to drink your own urine,
1: which just... is
0: also on Bear Girls. Yeah. Shout out to Bear Girls <laughs> Again. <laughs> Here's my thing though, about the whole drinking your own urine. So his hand was trapped on a rock under a rock and he like couldn't get it out for like a dude it's, like, real easy to, you know, hold your dick and pee into a water bottle. But if you're a woman, like, let's consider, first of all, how messy it would be. Second of all, you wouldn't get all of that pee. <laughs> like, it would not. That, that Nalgene bottle opening is not that wide. <laughs> well, and also, let's talk about, like, if this was bad timing for you and your menstrual cycle. Oh, no. <laughs> like, oh,
1: Uh, all of our so bad (laughs) all of
0: our male listeners have have left all of our female listeners are like these girls get it (laughs) um (laughs) so he's stuck in a slot canyon for five days rashing out food and water thing to know about slot canyons. um helicopter rescues are probably going to have a hard time finding because all they see from an aerial view is a crack in the ground. If the sun is angled out a way where there's a shadow overcasting. Right, because it's, like, dark slot. in mm-hmm. there. Because it's yeah. not, like, slot cannons aren't that wide, right? No. Well, I mean, I guess they vary in width. When mm-hmm. I, at, at Great Sand Dunes, near Great Sand Dunes, there is this waterfall. And I want to say it's called Zapita Falls. Mm-hmm. And you walk up a stream. Like, you're literally in a stream. You're mm-hmm. walking in, like, ankle-deep water up the stream into a slot canyon. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it is where this waterfall is. Okay. And that width is, like, I don't know, 30 feet wide. Okay. Like, it's definitely wide enough you feel safe walking through it. Okay. You feel small because it's you're, you know, in a slot canyon and it's really tall. But obviously for this guy, Aaron Ralston, it had to have been pretty narrow. Yeah. So while the shade was protecting him from the worst of the heat, it was, it was also making the experience cold during the night and preventing the planes from finding him. And mm-hmm. this was in April, so it was likely that the conditions were still extremely cold at night. His body, on top of fighting starvation and thirst, was dealing with extreme heat loss. He needed a lot more energy than what he was getting. So overall, his body was trying to work a lot harder to deal with the hot and cold temperatures as they were fluctuating. And he didn't have enough fuel to support his body's efforts. Oh, by the way, this whole time he was filming this ordeal. Yeah. Could you imagine? So like... Aaron Ralson gets stuck in a slot canyon with an 800-pound rock on him. He's stuck here for 127 hours, equivalent to five days. He has hardly anything to eat or drink. He starts drinking his own piss. Mm -hmm. And he's been filming the whole thing with the one good hand that he has. (laughs) You don't want to be the hiker that finds that, like, if he died. (laughs) In the movie... I think in the movie they had him like purposefully going into the slot canyon. Was that right? Or did he trip and fall? No, he he went in there on purpose. I think the rock broke free and while he was climbing up a section, it seemed to remember, and then it fell on him. Gotcha. But it's okay. not like I don't think that it was a well traveled area. You yeah. know, like he just was like, I'm going to go explore. So, yeah, he's filming this entire thing as it's happening day mm-hmm. by day, hour by hour. He's giving essentially vlog updates. Yeah. And <laughs> at one point he did record um essentially like a goodbye video to his family, I believe. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel like Um, I remember in the movie he carved his initials and like what he thought was going to be his death date in the wall. Yeah, like his birth date and then like possible death date. Which is morbid, so morbid. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't. I mean, like, these stories, I just, I can't imagine being in a place, like, mentally where you truly think you're going to die. And this is, like, between the two stories, this is actually pretty fascinating that Mm -hmm. I just thought of right now. Nutty Putty Cave, homeboy thought he was going to get out. Mm -hmm. And then he ended up dying. Mm -hmm. 127 hours, he thought he was going to die and ends up getting out. (laughs) Yeah. It's very interesting how uh, these two play together in that. Yes. Yes. Um. So yeah, so he's been filming this whole thing at one point, he pretty much took his last video that he thought he was going to take. And he had been debating trying to use the dull multi tool that he had to cut off his hand. But he didn't know how the heck he was going to cut through the bone with that thing, because this Mm -hmm. multi tool is dull AF. Mm um so he even made some practice tourniquets out of the tubing from his camelback which props to him that's very innovative and I can appreciate that that's like really smart actually though I would have never thought to do that yeah I mean either I don't even think I know how to make a tourniquet you You just tie it real tight I, I that's all I know just tie it tight to cut off the blood flow I think yeah so I have like a fear of using my teeth for things and mm-hmm. I feel like in this situation, I would have to, like, obviously tie that tighter by using my teeth to, like, yank mm-hmm. it. And that just gives me the heebie-jeebies for Ooh. some reason. I don't know. I've always had, like, watching people open things with their teeth, like, make me cringe. I just, oh, I do I, I do it all the time. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't. <laughs> teeth for everything. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, how would you do that? <laughs> it's a tool, man. It's a tool. Dude, yeah, no, I just see my teeth falling out of my mouth doing that. That's when I'm like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> So, yeah, he made some practice tourniquets out of the tubing from Miss Camelback. He even made some practice cuts because he was so desperate. Um, he just didn't know how he was going to do it. And we can imagine how hard that would probably be, like, trying to cut your own arm off. Yeah. Like, your your body or your brain, like, all of your instincts, like, from evolution are like, hey, how about you don't cut your arm off because it's got, like, a high chance of killing you if you don't do it right. And so I think, yeah. but in this situation, like, that was his only option. I would have vomited multiple times. Mm-hmm. Passed out multiple times. Mm-hmm. I would love to just, like, sit down and talk to him about this one day. Because, like, I want to know if he vomited and passed out. Like, how do you just get through that without not doing that? I feel like he probably must have. Do you think that you would have cut off your own arm? Or do you think you would have just, like, resigned to death? Mm, I would probably just would have... <sighs> I probably would have died. I probably wouldn't even gotten to the point where I was drinking my own pee (laughs) because. That's the thing. I don't even know if I could do that. Like if it it was like a life or death situation, like I don't know. Yeah. Like I think I would die. I think in this case, probably. Yeah. And I don't say that as like I wouldn't put up a fight. I say that as like I would probably try my hardest to like do things that would Mm -hmm. help me live another day but i don't think that my body would uh, right uh, like accept it like i think if i drank my own piss i think i would end up vomiting and then i would just make myself more dehydrated mm-hmm. from all of that and then i would just end up dying a day earlier than i could have well i have like a chronic illness so i'm pretty sure like i would i would probably die from that before i even got to the point where i could cut off my arm that's true know. um Interesting thing that happened while he was stuck and debating cutting off his arm. He had a dream that he, a one-armed man, was playing with his child. Not sure if that was a subconscious survival instinct or his brain telling him to cut his damn arm off. Or either way, he woke up with a new task. So he cut his arm off. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what he ended up doing. Uh, He applied a bunch of pressure to his arm using the rock as leverage and he fucking broke his arm. Fuck. and fuck that's, he fucking broke it. That's how he broke his arm. He applied a bunch of pressure to his arm using the rock as leverage. Yeah. And he just like, like my notes. He just just popped it. Oh just no. <laughs> no. <laughs> just no. broke it. No. God damn. I could not dude. So the whole tourniquet thing, making practice cuts and then breaking your arm. just breaking your arm. <laughs> So here, this would this is how it would go for me. Practice tourniquet, cool. I'm 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 there. I'm conscious. I'm awake. Practice yeah. cut. That hurts. That sucks. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking my own arm. I passed out and vomited. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that ever. Oh, ever. God. I'm never in a situation for that. <laughs> um. So he after he broke his arm, he put the cable back tourniquet on his arm. And he began cutting away at the rest of his arm with what little shitty multi tool he had. Mm -mm. (laughs) Oh, just ew, ew, ew! This is gross. (laughs) Uh, I don't like this. (laughs) Um. Uh, huh. A lot of tissue on his hand was dead at the point because it's been, you know, stuck behind an 800 pound rock for five days. Right. It's probably um, easier then because you don't really have that much feeling. Yeah. 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 And no feeling and nerve damage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He left the arteries for last while he was cutting to try to prevent himself from bleeding out before he could get anywhere with safety. I I don't know how he did that I cleanly. I don't like know I how just, he even figured out what was the important arteries because like I've dissected stuff before and I just make a hot mess of it. Like you do not want me as your damn doctor. <laughs> it's not like no. It's not like he had a medical degree or anything. So like how did he know which parts were his arteries? It all just kind of looks bloody and gross when you cut in, I would think. I know it's like not like red wire, blue wire. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's not like there's like distinction. I mean, I'm I bet okay. I say that as I am not in the medical field. I don't know if there's distinction distinction in your arteries. So if there is distinction in your arteries, please let me know because I don't <laughs> I don't know. So if I said that and I'm wrong, I don't care if you correct me. I'm asking doctors only, certified doctors only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he. Saved his arteries for last to cut, uh, so he, you know, tried to save him as much blood as possible. Mm-hmm. And then he used a pair of pliers to cut through the tendons. Mm. And let me tell you how much shiver I just got reading that sentence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So he lost twenty-five percent of his blood at the end of it, and the entire process took about an hour to do. But homeboy was free to go home he caught out of that canyon and he hiked for eight fucking miles back to his car still losing blood this Fuck. whole time <laughs> can't believe this shit i just like so he comes across this dutch family that was hiking and they found him on his way back and they gave him some oreos and water oh my god and alerted authorities but i cannot imagine being this family like trying to have a nice family outing and this guy just comes like (laughs) running up to you disheveled with an a limb missing like bloods everywhere (laughs) if they had any kids with them those i hope they're in therapy (laughs) they they need therapy they probably have ptsd like that dude that's a horror movie that's a horror movie Uh, It's cute, though, that they gave him Oreos. Like, that's adorable. (laughs) Super fucking cute. I do love Oreos. Hey, Oreos, you want to sponsor us? I want to sponsor us, Oreos? Rescuers made it to him four hours after he cut his arm off. If he had done it any sooner, he would have bled out, apparently. Um, Had he not done it, he would have likely died of thirst. So, if he cut his arm off any sooner, he would have bled out because of the um, what is it, the amount of like high is it hydration well probably because he was you know so dehydrated that his blood was probably thicker Getting thicker thicker yeah, yeah. Thicker. we're not doctors, <laughs> we're not doctors. <laughs> but story goes if he had done it any sooner he would have bled out and had he not done it he would have likely died of thirst so meanwhile his arm was left in the canyon but don't worry, the authorities managed to get it back to him. Yeah, it's a huge ass crane to haul the boulder that crushed Ralston's hand out of the canyon, and they returned his cremated hand to him. Did they do it by mail? How weird would it be to receive your hand in the mail? That, you, like, yeah, how how do you do how do you do that? Yeah, like, I think they probably just shipped him those ashes, right? I guess. Or maybe they called him in to like pick them up. Hey, can you come here? Hey, we got your hand um, here. <laughs> we got your hands. Pretty sure it belongs to you. Um, do you want to just like come pick it up? I guess if not, we're just gonna toss it in the dumpster. So, you know, just let me know what you want. <laughs> got twenty-four hours to claim it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Ralston turned around and threw those ashes back in the damn slot canyon saying that was where they belonged and he said fuck you hand you belong down there and you're gonna stay down there and i'm gonna get rid of you and all those memories throw your hand back into the slot canyon it's like oh hey we got it out for you we're gonna burn it turn it into yeah. some ashes we're gonna give it back to you and then you just throw it back down there it's like just <laughs> yeah. your hand there like why go through all that effort i don't um, want it don't want it anymore. I got it all for a reason. Um, God, we so Aaron Ralston's gone on to have a climbing career and has been on the press circuit. He loved Franco's portrayal of him in the film and said the film itself was brutally realistic. And by the way, he had that son, so maybe he can tell the future. Yep, it and- saved his, saved his life. Yeah, yeah. And so that is. The long winded ADB inspired <laughs> story of Aaron Ralstons and the true story of 127 hours. That oh, was great.
1: That's yeah. a much
0: does a much better ending. <laughs> yeah. Survival story. Survival uh, story. I you know the tragedies do kind of get me though, because like like I don't know. I have a that morbid fascination with like, okay, what is the worst way a human can die? And then I want to talk about it. Because like the psychology of what John Jones went through is like so like fascinating. Like obviously it's very, very sad, but it's also very fascinating to me. Like I often wonder, like, could I do that? Could I do what John Jones did, even though he ended up um losing his life? Um, and could I do what Aaron Ralston did? it's nuts and the answer in these two cases is probably no (laughs) 100% no for me yeah I wouldn't even go into the the cave in the first place but but like I'm out on the water all the time so the whole um lost at sea thing could happen to me so you know that's something that really actually worries me too Mm -hmm. about that's like more realistic in our world is getting lost at sea in that sense Mm -hmm. Oh, we'll talk about those someday. So let's kind of wrap this up. Um, Let's kind of do a little palate cleanser from all the blood and gore. Um, What was one happy thing that or good thing that happened to you this week? Well, this is the one thing that I've been talking about today actually is Um, so when I was in Miami for a girls' night, I brought my dog with me because my friend, my friend who was staying girls' night, recently got a puppy. And the first time our dogs met, um, didn't really go over very well because my dog is four years old and her dog at the time was, I think he was like three months old. And so I think the whole puppy to older dog situation was a bit much. Mm -hmm. And, um, essentially my dog just acted like a grumpy old man the entire time mm-hmm. but after two more times of them being around each other they're like best friends now so mm. they get along and it was uh yeah so one good thing that happened to me this week was now they get along and it's like it's just so nice because mm. you know you want your your fur children to yes get along especially if you're driving three hours to see your friend and spending the night and it's so much easier to just bring your dog and have the dogs play together (laughs) yes what about you um so mine's actually also puppy related because puppies are the only thing keeping us sane in this coronavirus world so (laughs) Um, my little puppy, uh, she's actually a rescue. Her name is Marzipan. We call her Marzi for short. And she hates water. She hates it. She just, and, and for like two marine biologists to have a dog that literally doesn't even want to touch water, like it's not just like she's afraid of the ocean. Like she, like if it rains, if she steps in a puddle, she like is like, eh, I don't want it. So, um, we went to the beach. Um, because we like to let her, like, run, you know, down the beach, um, and she just has a blast, because she's half lab, half uh, whippet, which is just, like, a small greyhound, so she just loves to run, and she actually ran through the water on purpose multiple times, because she was having fun. <laughs> and oh, it's just like girl, Marzi, Huge for her, like, I'm excited we can actually like maybe take her to the beach during the summer. Cause she'll go in the water to cool off. Like, so that's like my little hooray that my puppy who's terrified of water kind of a little bit came over her fear this week. I love it. Mm. Look at us and our doggies getting along. Yes. All right. So we're going to wrap it up for this week. Thanks for listening um, and check back in with us next week. And we'll talk about some more messed up stuff. Stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers.